You're listening to Picturing Home, a podcast production by Conscoop on Malmo and Malmo University. Picturing Home is a collaborative art project exploring stories of home and migration. You can follow us on Instagram at picturing.home. Welcome home. My name's Erin, and I'm a researcher at Malmo University at the School of Arts and Communication. And today I'm joined by the lovely Malin and Jasmine, who have both been participants in the Picturing Home project. Malin and Jasmine, thanks so much for being here with me today. So great to be here today. Thanks for having us. I agree. So great. I've been looking forward to this day for a long time. Just a little bit about Picturing Home. Uh, this was meant to be an on-location art project at Count's Coupon, but because we are living through a pandemic, we have taken the whole thing online, which has opened up loads of possibilities for creativity and community building. During April and May of 2020, we did five online workshops together with Konstkupan participants and researchers from Malmo University. And one of those workshops was called Sounds Like Home. So for this session, we each brought in some sounds that remind us of home, wherever or whatever that is, or make us feel at home. And it was so much fun. People played songs they love and recordings of sounds that are intrinsic parts of their environments, and some folks even sang. It was really such a joyful, moving workshop and brought up lots of themes that we're going to chat about today. So Malin, because this is your first time on the podcast, I want to start with you, if I may, because um, this is your first time and I'm so excited to have you here. Um, And I know that you are in the process of moving, or you just moved, and so you've been thinking about some of the themes that revolve around home for you. And I want to play this little bit. You brought in two sort of sonic texts, if we could call them that, um, for the workshop. Is that a good good way to describe them, sonic texts? Yeah, that's a very... (laughs) eloquent word. Okay. <laughs> so I want to um, to play this first one, um, which I'm not going to give away. And I don't know, Jasmine, do you already know what this is? Um, I, I don't, I don't think so, actually. No, okay. <laughs> I'm excited. Okay. Fantastic. So I'm going to ask you to guess what this is. Okay. Sounds. Okay. Right. Here it comes. So this is the sound I wake up to every morning. I hope you can hear it. sort of like I don't know like running or like I don't know like tiny tiny I don't know I don't know I'm so confused right now (laughs) what is that Marlon do you want to tell us this is like the most adorable contribution we have (laughs) (laughs) it's actually the sound of my daughter's very cute rabbit eating hay (gasps) wow (laughs) I know I never would have guessed that. That is so cute. Well, every morning I he wakes me up around six in the morning, uh eating his hay. And then I don't know if you can hear the sound in the background right now or if it's too far away, but now he's drinking water. That's another sound that is my alarm clock. <laughs> so can you can you tell us a little bit about why you chose this for our um, Sounds Like Home session? I think um, I've never had a pet as a child. <laughs> um, and we got this rabbit. His name is Bullo for Stella about five years ago. 
but then this was when I was uh, doing my PhD. So I used to spend a lot of time at home uh, writing. And I came to grow extremely attached to this animal because he would come out of his cage and lie on my feet and just snuggle like a little cat. And so he, I think, spending so much more time with him at home now uh, during this uh, strange time has kind of made me reattach with him. And his, the sound of him eating, being alive, being healthy, um, just awakes something in me, especially in these times, I think, that, that he is, he's consistent. He eats his hay, he drinks his water, he jumps around like nothing has changed in the world. Yeah, that kind of consistency, especially right now, I think has become in some ways, maybe even more prized, you know, I think we, we talked about this a little bit in a couple of sessions about how we're kind of understanding a lot of us right now are kind of understanding how much we have, we've taken for granted. Um, and that these kind of anchors, these little anchors in our lives, like, you know, no matter what it is, routines or tiny animals, (laughs) Um, really are are important they become kind of essential in new ways I mean this might sound a bit control-ish but but now my daughter's so much older yeah um so she doesn't need me in the same way and it becomes really apparent I think sometimes I mean she's out she bikes on her own she does things she doesn't count on me to you know of course I feed her but not in the same way and in a way it it feels a bit uh, I don't know naive naively hopeful (laughs) or something like that to 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 have this little creature who's still relying on me to just give him basic you know food and water yeah exactly and like kind of in that theme or along that kind of thread that you're pulling out there, Malin, um, with regard to care and also to sort of mother-daughter relationships. Um, another theme that you brought up uh, during our session was of your mother and your grandmother and the sort of matrilineal heritage, which you've talked about in several of our sessions, often referring to class migration in the Swedish context. Um, yeah, I mean, Malin, you're, you're obviously very close to your mom. Like I know this from conversations with you and I'm really close to mine. And, um, when we did this sounds like home workshop, (laughs) we ended up having a pretty intense conversation, um, which ended up in tears, which also tends to help happen with me and Malin, um, during this workshop, um, about the connections between music and family and memory. Yes. Um, so, yeah, let's hear a bit from the beginning of that. I can remember my mom and dad, they divorced when I was three, probably. Uh, and I stayed with my mom um, and she was not very happy. Uh, I mean, there were a few, I guess she was sad. She never really showed me she was sad. But then when she started to feel a bit better, she used to play the song. And of course, I don't, I mean, it's, we can laugh at it now. I laugh at it now because it's a real kind of smoochy 80s, you know, thing. But now going back as an adult and listening to it and thinking about a woman who's gone through divorce and with two children, at home and she just met someone at that time that I didn't know anything about at the time but then of course I mean he's been my stepdad not for like 39 years Mm. um but the song becomes something else that I can remember when I got home from school or I don't know and I heard this song playing like as a vinyl I can remember going, oh, mom's happy. Yeah, okay, that's, oh, I love this reflection. And 
Unfortunately, we can't play the tune now for copyright reasons, but can you give us the name of the song and the artist that performs it and then tell us a little bit about the tune, Malin? Sure. So the the song is called Coming Around Again, and it's by uh, Carly Simon. And I, the funny thing is that it's not, I never knew who um, sang the song, we, my mom used to play it on this really old like vinyl. Yeah. Um, I don't know why she liked it so much. I guess it was some kind of sentiment because it starts off, if I'm not mistaken, by she says, it says, baby sneezes, mommy pleases. Mm-hmm. So it's about this, how you care, how our mother is always there to do everything for you. And just rely so much or I guess I did and I always knew that whatever would happen my mom would be there and that kind of um, safety that I guess I took for granted and never reflected upon is something that I took with me when I became a mother how you know, Stella and and other kids that I'm around a lot, that they should always have that feeling that no matter what, I'll always I'm always gonna be there. Um and that must be the best gift you can ever give someone to make them feel safe. And I think this song for my mom was a bit about that also, like caring for your children but at the same time also allowing yourself to meet a new partner and to not to think about yourself and, and not think that meeting someone and still caring for your kids are in conflict. So this song re- represents for me my mom's kind of transition from being I've been left by this man now I found love again and, you know, stop rereading this old chapter because then you can't get to the next chapter. Yeah. I mean, you know, during this workshop, uh, we talked a lot about how sounds, so not only songs, but also sounds um, transmit generational feeling and how in some way they become part of us. And you said something really beautiful about that, Malin. So let's listen to this next clip. When you're younger, like your mom's your mom. Mm. And then when you get old and she's old, you understand, oh, so you were a person too. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, you know, she's a person, but yeah. and you, you, like, obviously I didn't know what that song meant. I can just remember she had like on a vinyl player and like the crackling before, you know, a, a vinyl, the crackling, I don't know if that's a word, but... You know, that sound that a vinyl makes before it starts. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just like all that in. And I think that, um, I don't know. It's just, um, (laughs) for some reason, that song is like somewhere in me, like some kind of soundtrack to something, to a feeling that I can't really put a label on. Okay, Malin, so I'm going to ask you the tough question. Um, can, can you try to describe that feeling that you can't put a label on? A feeling of security, happiness for my mom. Yeah. Um, and then for me, something stable. Yeah. Something that, you know, things have happened in all of our lives, but, you know, mom is consistent. Um, Something stable, consistent, loving. um, You know, that kind of, it's easy to be in, in, like, in love. (laughs) Like, you have all these feelings and they're all over the place, but, you know, the love that I feel for my mom and for Stella is so easy. Yeah. It's not complicated. It's not up and down. It's, yeah. it's there. 
And so that kind of like, <laughs> I, I am, I feel that I am, I hear that I'm really bad at explaining this, but the, the, the kind of, yes, yeah, stability and just unproblematic love. Totally. I mean, it, you know what that reminds me of is um, when Hugo's daughter, Polly, offered her reflections on what home is. And her definition went something like, home is the place where no one can kick you out. When you can go to that place without anyone like saying like you don't belong here go away like you you have somewhere that you like like that is yours and no one can say to you to leave yeah right like feeling like that sense of belonging like it's just so simple right like it's safe it's secure you can't be denied you can't be pushed away um, and that kind of, that kind of connection is, is like, oh, like so special. Like that's not even the best, that's not even really the word for it, is it? It's rare. It's a really lucky thing. And I think, um, you know, when we were listening to that song, I mean, <laughs> we, I mean, Malin and I were both, um, weeping, um, like, like visibly kind of weeping with this tune. And I think it's interesting because, we're we're about the same age, um, and we are both close to our mothers. Um, we are both kids whose parents divorced, um, and there is something about that song. I think we talked a lot in the workshop about how it hits us viscerally, like in our bodies, like kind of like right at the center of our chest. Like there's this um, real feeling of like like that understanding that you're talking about, Malin, and also this kind of ache, you know, kind of a longing that certain songs just end up doing to you, you know, throughout your life. Definitely. I I am, and it's, it's very telling, it's very timely rather that um, this Picturing Home uh, podcast and workshop and with Kunskip and it like happens now as I am like literally just moved in my apartment, a new apartment. And I've, also thought a lot about it because uh, I know know that I brought up in like a session that we had uh, about this class migration that I feel uh, so strongly how you like I've I've felt uh, guilty about it thinking that my grandmother and mother came from another place and and I mean not geographically I mean a an intellectual space and uh, when I was unpacking uh, yesterday I came across my you know when you do your become a doctor of philosophy you you can get a ring oh that's a, that's like a that's a really Swedish thing I'd never heard of that before moving to Sweden <laughs> they said you can buy a ring like this big like gold doctor's ring I think it costs like four or five thousand um, or you could just pick another ring. And I was like very insecure about wearing a big gold ring on my finger because it's not me. Um, so I actually picked my uh, grandmother's wedding ring as my doctor ring. Aww. And it's this like extremely thin like golden you know I guess you could like bite through it like it's it's worth absolutely nothing uh-huh. but inside it says Margareta and Andos <clears throat> those were my grandparents their names and the date and I believe 1931 wow. and so I've had that and and people are like why weren't you why don't you want to show off that you're now a doctor and I'm like, because this sentiment with this ring is where I came from. And that's why I can do this. Yeah. You know, it doesn't, I can spend 5,000 on a ring, but this is more important that I'm, you know, that I have this ring on as my doctor. It's, it's worth much more emotionally. 
Definitely, Jasmine. So, so I think that kind of that was that was important to me to acknowledge this class migration by choosing that ring and not choosing, you know, expensive jewelry. You're listening to Picturing Home, a podcast production by Coup on Malmo and Malmo University. Visit us on Instagram at picturing.home. So Jasmine, um, you actually weren't able to make this particular workshop, but you've had so many gorgeous moments throughout this whole Picturing Home project that have been related to sound and to music and also to this sort of, you know, what Malin was talking about, about these sorts of memories of your roots and like where your family originates and all the places you've inhabited. Um, so you actually did the assignment part of this workshop anyway, because we've also been sharing our work on Instagram. Uh, you put it up there and you posted a song that is important for you and some beautiful images to go with it. So. I just want to read um, the caption that um, Jasmine wrote on Instagram. And again, you can visit our Instagram page at picturing.home. Um, but so Jasmine posted this beautiful sequence of photographs set to music. Um, and this is her, what she wrote. For anyone who grew up or has lived in the Middle East, Beirut's in the morning is pretty much a staple. Her songs and the sound of her soothing voice playing from your kitchen radio would continue to follow you on the bus ride to school or through the speakers of whatever cafe you choose to have your morning coffee. This is one of her more popular songs, though it is not Feru's singing. I chose this version by Pink Martini with vocals by Ikram Goldman, as it somehow seems more fitting to reflect the hybrid identities and mixing of cultures resulting from moving homes. The accompanying photos are from summers spent back home, she puts in quotation marks, in Jordan. So Jasmine, I wanna start um, by asking you to tell us a little bit about Feiruz. Um, Feiruz, yeah, uh, where, where do I start? She's, she's a legend. <laughs> and I mean, <laughs> not just for Lebanon. And, and I mean, you you have that Lebanese background, so you kind of you know you know Feirouz. She mm. is Lebanon, but she's <laughs> also you know something for the for the whole Arab world. I think some. I think she was described as the greatest living Arab diva, um, because the greatest non living one is Um Kalthum, who I think, if I remember, in our last workshop, Ansar was talking about her. Totally. And he said this a line, Feirouz in the morning, Um Kalthum at night. <laughs> and everybody like knows that saying. And, and it is so very true for, for many generations. It doesn't matter how old or young you are, especially the Feirouz part, I think, um, is still kind of a thing decades later. I mean, since she became big in the 60s and to this day, everywhere in the world, every Arab family, no matter where they live, um, and she is one of the few Arab singers I actually listened to. Um, even even back when I, you know, lived in the Middle East, I didn't really listen to much Arabic music growing up. Um, but she's one of two people I actually, you know, listened to. And then I decided to, you know, play with it a little bit and and chose a different a different version. So I I went with you know not Feirouz singing, mm. um, because I felt like. Um, it, it related more to this project. You know, I mean, Pink Martini is this American band from Portland. Yeah. And and they have, a, a, like, I love them because they have this way of, you know, they have this diversity in their style and the way of, you know, integrating different languages and culturals, uh, and cultures into this one kind of entity. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have Ikram, who's, um, who's an Arab-American, yeah. Um, who was who was born into this Christian Arab family in, in Palestine, even though wherever you read about her, it says Israel. But yeah, and then she, you know, she moved to the U.S. as a teenager and she became this big fashion guru. Uh, and she does this amazing job doing vocals for this song, which I think is one of her favorites. So I think it, it yeah, I think it felt like the right choice. 
that's that's a, a very good description of this tune. And again, people can check this out on our Instagram page. I think uh, for a lot of people, especially in like the, the Lebanese and like the just kind of the Arab diaspora in general, mm-hmm. um, hearing Feirouz like brings you back. I think for a lot of my family members, like takes them back, you know, to their childhood in in Lebanon, and especially like after the war, when the war was over, I know she did a really big performance, um, Martyr Square, which you can, I get goosebumps just talking about it. Like it's on YouTube somewhere. Um, and it's like the song, I think like some of the lyrics, like, how have you been? Mm, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. She, she, she makes Lebanon kind of united and she makes the Arab world united because I mean, Arabs don't agree on much, but they all agree on Feirouz, you know? <laughs> yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, everyone can kind of get behind um, mm-hmm. listening to of a morning. Um, so Jasmine, you, you included in your post these really beautiful photographs. And Hugo and I were actually just talking about these photos um, the other day. And we were both like very curious about the stories behind some of them. So... I'll just describe some of them. Like there are pictures of what look to be sort of older parts of, of, a, of a city. There's a beautiful mural, kind of a, a street art mural on one of the sides. There's a picture of Jasmine in this beautiful gown, um, a guy at a cafe uh, wearing a fez. There's a picture of a shisha and some tea, which I am imagining is like mint tea. Um, there are pictures of Jasmine and some friends and uh, a band playing beautiful street scenes with things sort of hanging over the street and Jasmine looking gorgeous with her friends. Um, there's like pictures of the sea. I mean, they're just beautiful photographs. So if you're listening, you have to check this out. <laughs> um, the post is from the 14th of May. And I wondered if you could tell us the stories behind, you know, some of these photographs, Jasmine. Yeah, it, it was it was hard kind of figuring out what photos to choose. So I, I decided to focus on just um, summers in, in Jordan because, I mean, when I'm in Sweden and I say, you know, when people ask me what I'm doing for the summer and I say I'm going home, like mm-hmm. Jordan is the place I go to. My dad lives there. And now one of my sisters married a Jordanian and now she calls Jordan home again. Um, So that's where I go and and spend my summers. Um, And so I decided to make this kind of compilation of photos. A lot of them were taken in uh, downtown Amman or like the old parts of the city because they're just, they're my favorite. They're just so, so beautiful. Yeah, my summers in Jordan are all, you know, cafes, tea with mint, you were right. And Uh and shisha. (laughs) And um. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and and the sound because um that particular picture it reminds me because it's taken at this old um cafe in downtown Amman and there's usually in the evenings this guy playing uh oud um if you know what that is so he plays um and sings some you know some really old traditional songs and every time I look at that picture I remember the sound of um the instrument and the sound of this guy singing what is now the national anthem for Iraq, you know, post 2003. Wow. Um, and that every time I look at that picture, that's the kind of sound that, that, um, that pops up. You know, I, I think one of the things that I love about your post is how you are linking sound and song to place and to the feeling of that place and that sort of place memory and it's like, it's Jordan, you know, it's Amman, but it's also like, you know, this kind of pan-Arab, like we think about Feirouz, you know, mm-hmm. and that kind of connection. Um, and I, I I really, I love that. I love these sorts of memories from these summers past that you include in this post. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. One of the things that has been so 
really um, exciting, I think, about this project as a whole is that there have been possibilities that have been opened up by taking the workshops online. And in part, that's because that's uh, in the sense that doing the workshops online means that um, participants have welcomed each other into their homes and described their experiences of home in some very vivid and concrete ways that we would not have been able to do if we had, you know, just tried to locate things very centrally at, you know, a specific space in Malmo. Um, so that has really opened up uh, a lot of connection, I think, and a lot of possibilities for how we how we think about home and how we experience each other's home spaces. Um, so Sara was another participant in this particular workshop, and she um, recorded these fantastic sounds from both the front of her apartment and the back of her apartment. <laughs> and they were, you, were, you might imagine, they, um, they were quite different. So Hugo turned these, um, these sounds into a lovely recording with Sarah's voice narrating her soundscape. And we'll just listen to that now. I have done sort of a different choice. I have more sample sounds from home, my home. And one particular thing that is, and here is about annoying sounds. And as I, live at Bergsgatan in Malmö and those of you who know that street knows that it's a kind of busy street and it's also one of the these longer straight streets um, with no speed bumps and also then we live kind of close to Mödland Square which you know gather people and then they go on demonstrations along the street and especially in the warm part of the year, and that's like from April to October, I would say, we have to have the windows open. And sometimes it's very noisy here uh, with different street sounds. This kind of like, you know, en engines like running in a, in a certain way is something that I have incorporated in the sounds of my home in, in a way. That's like something I live with quite a lot um, in summertime. And one thing that, that's more and more really drives me crazy is these um, three-wheelers. They're super loud. <laughs> and they often speed drive uh, along the street in the like late evenings like 11 o'clock 12 o'clock or something like that and then I made also a small sample of because on the other side of the house, it's like a lot of birds, especially really early in the morning. So this is more the nice sounds of coming from the other side. So when you don't listen so much on the, on the street sounds here, this is more from the other side of the, that's much more relaxing. Yeah, but like this kind of, if I if I talk about like this kind of sounds that this I like with home, it's like sounds from the breakfast, like the micro oven, my partner walking around, my son speaking in the background, and unfortunately can't hear the radio playing on because my partner plays in such low volume, maybe here. Yeah, like these kind of background sounds going on all the time on the computer. Like my son right now sitting 
watching Super Mario, which he loves. Uh, like having this kind of background sound <laughs> constantly going on. That's kind of like home sounds for me. Yeah. That's like these all these sounds from the the streets, like Bergskatan is something I I will connect to this place a lot, really. Like for good and for bad. I have like I mean, there's a lot of fun experience also, like with a demonstration going past. We can we can we can't see them from our window because the the roof is away, <laughs> but we can hear them. We hear the drums and the people shouting things, and you can see the reflections in the windows uh, on the street, but you can't actually see the actual demonstration <laughs> in that sense and these kind of things. Uh, but then, when the traffic, like when you, you, I mean, sometimes when you're being really stressed at work, you've been working the whole day, you just want to come home and relax, and you don't want to have all this. And you, you you have to have the windows open because it's like too hot in the <laughs> kitchen, and you just you want to shut up all the cars. That's like something that drives me crazy. Um, many protests in Malmo begin at Mollevangstort um, and often come down the street below her window. And while she can't always see them, she definitely hears them. And Mollevangstort, and I'm sorry for my horrible Swedish pronunciation, um, is strongly connected to the labor movement in Malmo and one of the city's most diverse districts. And it's also close to where Konskupan have their community arts space. Recently, the square, that's um, uh, so the square in Molan, was uh, the site of a protest in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and the recordings that Sara made and the workshop that we're discussing now took place before this protest and before the murder of George Floyd in Minneapolis on May 25th. But Sara's comments about the sounds of public protests in her neighborhood seem more relevant than ever right now, I think. Um, and I know that we're inundated with images of the protests, but I think um, we're also hearing the streets anew as this revived public political space where people are getting present, getting together, and affecting change, building off the foundations of the Black Lives Matter movement, which continues to be at the forefront of the fight for equality and for rethinking what democracy does and what democracy might mean, including the abolition of law enforcement as we know it. So this is the place um, where claims are being made and where people are really hearing each other in real time, in real ways. And Jasmine, um, I believe you attended one of the, the recent protests in Malmo. Can you describe it for us? Um, well, I can, I can try. And well, I, I have to start by saying that despite what some people have been saying, even with COVID-19, these protests are important. Um, now, especially while there's still momentum and possibility to, for change. And um, I wanted to show up and lend one more body, one more voice to the movement. And I was amazed by the turnout in Malmo. I think it was important for a lot of people who showed up to be to be heard and or at least to show solidarity. And you could really hear the passion and pain in some of the voices um, on the speaker. And, um, and the chanting, um, echoing the same chants in the U.S. and other cities around the world, just amplifying them. No justice, no peace, Black Lives Matter, say his name, George Floyd, the same chants everywhere, um, and the same voice and the same message being voiced everywhere. And I think one thing that really struck me uh, was you know, the combined voices of everyone there. There's this 
power to it that's somehow a little bit more tangible when you're there and you and when you're chanting and your voice is not just yours but kind of fused with everyone else's so they they all become this one shared entity i think that's what struck me most about that it's beautiful and overwhelming at the same time i mean so there there are two things um you know that that thinking about these protests happening right now, and especially in the context of Malmo, um, brings up here. And uh, one is that Picturing Home, this project, has been very much geared towards discussions of home and migration, in no small part because these are very salient issues in Sweden, and perhaps particularly in Malmo. And two, a lot of folks, I think, and maybe this is just my experience as someone who comes from the U.S., but I think a lot of people sort of idealize Sweden as this very democratic, very safe kind of utopia, kind of this paradise. So I was wondering if I can ask you two to reflect a bit about how the consciousness raising efforts that have caught fire in the wake of George Floyd's murder are relevant to Sweden in general and to Malmo in particular. I spent half of my life in Mölvången. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that I would agree that it's like a diverse part of town. Okay. Uh, I think it's uh, in terms of class, and I go back to this issue because uh, this is an area when I grew up there, um, we all had something in common, and that mm. was that we didn't have any money. Mm. Um, and it didn't matter where you had your, you know, your parents had their roots or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, we still couldn't afford anything. I am happy that it has turned into a space uh, for protest. Uh, I I like demonstrations. Uh, I think that people should voice their disgust for racist politics and you know whatever um i i do have my uh, thoughts about uh what's actually going on at the moment uh i am scared that uh the protests and i'm not talking about the protests that you went or demonstration you went to specifically jasmine but but there are so many protests that get like hijacked. I don't even have to emphasize that I think protesting against police violence, racial violence, murder is essential and important, and we shouldn't even be, you know, discussing the necessity of that <laughs> uh, because it's a given. Um, my problem, I think, is when a lot of uh, people come together and perform activism uh, and post it on social media because I think that becomes, I understand the power of a message. I understand the power of like trying to unite. Uh, but I might think that there are alternative ways to protest um, that are maybe more that, that doesn't become about reinforcing the white privilege. Mm. Uh, and, you know, we, we can debate that. I, I, I take the strength. Like I said, I grew up around Möllevongen. Both my parents are activists, uh, were activists, I should say. Um, I get the need to voice injustice. I'm just thinking about right now and, and starting to write upon, like, what... Uh, how is for white people, privileged people, what is the best way to voice that? I mean, if I could just kind of pick up on something you said, Malin, you said that um, that this kind of protest against police violence, against um, racism, against uh, the widespread murder of people of color um, is essential. But I think like even though we've seen this kind of global moment right now where these protests are, are happening all over the place. Um, I just, for, for people listening who are maybe don't have like you two do the, 
the contextual and cultural and political understanding of Sweden and Malmo in particular. Um, what I mean, can you can you reflect about what might be important, like why this is taking hold in in Malmo and in Sweden? For those who don't know Malmo, uh, it's a a space, a city, a home, a location for people who have um, come from all around the world. And this is where I love, why I love Malmo so much. Uh, one of the reasons. Um, it's always been the space that, might I say, conservative politicians, I think even um, the person who is currently in charge in the White House of the U.S., points to as a um, really bad kind of social experiment because people don't want Mama to succeed because if Mama succeeds, we're all the, you know, quote-unquote, like multiculturalism, their opinions and worldviews will be proven wrong, right? Yeah. Because if we can prove in Mama that it's perfectly possible to live side by side, to have some more deliberative democracy that is in conversations and it's fine to disagree and stuff like that. If we can make that work, then their system of oppression obviously doesn't. And we can prove that. So, so uh, Swedish politicians and uh, from other politicians and, and uh, journalists, they, they have their eyes on Mama as this space where they don't want it to succeed. And I think that these racial issues have been more apparent in Mama because of its geography. In Stockholm and other cities, you have suburbs. Mm -hmm. But in Mama, everything is located in one space. And I think these issues of um, oppression uh, have are very like much brewing and the mentality of people from Malmo. So I'm not, and Malmo people have always been very um, eager to, or like on the forefront of like debating social justice issues. So I'm not surprised by the turnout uh, at all. Do you want to add to that, Jasmine? Yeah, I mean, I think you've, you've really described it so well. And I think, I mean, sure, I mean, I, I read somewhere there's, there's about, what, 180 nationalities living in Mamo. More than a third of, of, you know, the population were born elsewhere. I mean, myself included, and, you know, more than half the people I'm friends with. Um, and that is not to say that there isn't any friction or segregation, especially the past, especially, and, and yeah, the friction, especially the past uh, five years or so with, uh, with the Sweden Democrats kind of, uh, you know, just, just being, but, um, but it is one of those places that we all want to, to make work. Um, and, um, because because a lot of the people who live here are immigrants and they kind of do still feel despite despite Malmo being Malmo do feel that um there is injustice and there that there is um a lot of racism going on um more and more recently and i think this was this was for them it, it mattered that's why a lot of them were out there um, I mean, I saw a lot of people who were who were black, but I also saw a lot of people, a lot of other, you know, people of color from different backgrounds, kind of. Um, and I mean, the Swede, a lot of, you know, a lot of Swedes were there, but they were kind of taking the sidelines and, and letting other people speak. Because I think they felt like a lot of, you know, things were a little bit heated. People were... Uh, I think glad to find the opportunity to voice their discontent. Um, 
And I, 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 I worry a little bit about oh, what's going to happen over the next few weeks. I, I hope it's something positive. Go ahead. Go ahead, Marlon. No, I'm just thinking that, you know, to let someone speak is also a privilege, right? I mean, yes. to, to, to be like, okay, I will be quiet and let you speak. And I, I, I do worry that um, this whole really meaningful movement uh, that, of course, Jesus Christ, I mean, of course, people should be safe regardless of pigmentation i mean that's i don't even know what we're talking about it you know um but i'm scared that it's going to be like hijacked this like whitewashed everyone on instagram and facebook solidarity like solidarity is not a insta post it's something mm. you do every day it's something you do all the time. You show solidarity with people. And I'm scared that this manifestation is going to become some like symbolic thing and not lead to real action. And I, I, I'm scared about that. I, I, I don't know how much time we have, but... A few years back, there was a, a police um, police operation called Reva, R E V A, and it was basically to for the police to be allowed to um, stop anyone who they wanted on the street. So basically, like no one from the police department said, "Oh, it's because we want to see if there are illegal immigrants here." Mm. Um, but it's just like legalizing of stop and frisk now for me that is extremely scary so mm. some of the, the activists that I know they didn't like have a demonstration I mean they had that too I guess but also they would be at Merlevongen every night and question the police every time they stopped a person with like darker pigmentation and mm. black hair, to put it frankly. And I mean, they were arrested and there was police brutality and they filmed it all. And I mean, there's no Reba in Malmo any longer. See, but I think that that's, that's what I'm asking about is that mm. like, I think that like a lot of people don't know that this kind of stuff happens here as well. And I think a lot of, like, frankly, like, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Denmark, like lived there for a while. And I think there's a sense that like, everything is copacetic, you know, like things function, like we're so generous, we pay our taxes, we give people opportunities, this kind of thing, without the knowledge of like, how, like, you know, racist, colonial histories yeah. are erased in the curriculum of you know different schools and in the sort of understanding of a national identity and a popular history, and then these these sorts of things get implemented, right? Like basically, like I mean, this is um, like you said, like an implementation of um, racial profiling. Yes, and so that's I think that was kind of like my my question was more about like why this is important now in Sweden, you know, like why these sorts of things, like why there is interest in, in kind of uh, participating in this global movement, like why is it necessary? And you completely just hit the nail on the head. I mean, I was conflicted about whether I should go or not. What should I say? What should I not say throughout the whole thing? But it felt like being silent was not okay, but then, but then what, what can I do instead? And, and a lot of it has to do with maybe just trying to show support in any way that anytime I see an opening to show support. Absolutely. Uh, I think what ties this whole movement uh, to the picturing home um, what do we call it? Project? Workshops? 
is that it does question the tension for me between home and hospitality. And I think that if we want to sum up like Malmö politics and Swedish politics, like you said, Erin, uh, we're portrayed, we, I mean Sweden, is portrayed as this kind of really welcoming place for right. people from around the world. Right. But underlying uh, that whole you know, idea is also this, but you should be grateful because we showed hospitality towards you. Mm-hmm. We opened up our home, Sweden, for you. And in that, I think it's tied up this whole colonial racial idea that someone who's not born here should be more thankful to be here for being here. Yeah. And that whole premise, I would like to question because, yeah. Yeah. so I think this like tension between home, hospitality, gratefulness is, is a, can be questioned and also we can see it in the same um, kind of light. I don't know if I made any sense there. No, you you do make sense. I think, and that's the thing for me, not being a Swede, well, I'm a Swedish citizen. I have a Swedish passport. I've lived here for 12 years, but I always feel like I can never um, criticize because I always want to say good things about the place that took me in. Um, and you know, that allows me to be here. So I always try to, you know, push the positive and kind of downplay the negative that is there. And I mean, even talking to people who are, who are immigrants, who were foreign born or whose parents were foreign born and how they treat other immigrants who came after them, because the, the first waves they've had, they were few, they had chances to integrate, integrate, so to speak. And then, you know, everyone else who's been coming here, I mean, the bigger, the biggest waves in 2015 and around then, who have, and they're criticized by other immigrants who, you know, think, oh, but you're not, you know, you're not integrating, you're making us look bad. And there are these tensions going around because, because we don't want, we don't want, you know, Swedes who, you know, allow us to be here to criticize us and you're making us look bad. It feels like there's that sentiment um, going and nobody's thinking this is now, this is home for all of us and we have to make it work. Exactly. And, and everyone is enti- as entitled of being here and making it great. It's just like thinking about it. It's just a geographical place in the world and we're here together. And just because I was born in this space doesn't mean that I and entitled to define it. Yeah, I mean, that's the great, the, the great thing about these places, right, is that they evolve and they change. And like, but I think like, this is the thing is that we have this moment where, you know, when Jasmine was just talking about about going to the protests, and Malin, you were reflecting about like this, this inner conflict. I mean, like that to me is like, like a sign that, you know, like you said, Malin, that, that there's like a reckoning, you know, like kind of making these decisions. And I, I think like, you know, uh, you know, like kind of stepping back and like, you're right, it is a privilege, but stepping back to be able to step back. But I think stepping back and, and making, making space for voices that are not often privileged was like a really important part of this work. Um, you know, out on the streets in support of Black Lives Matter and in support of abolition and in support of equality. Um, and I also think that like, you know, sharing, like being in solidarity and being in presence with people out on the streets where it's not always, you know, a safe space for a lot of folks on the daily and to put yourself in that space with them in solidarity is, is also kind of a, a beautiful thing. And I think, you know, we're just kind of feeling this, these things out, you know, as we go. I mean, I think we've all kind of uh, reflected on like together here today and, and also in other conversations about the relative kind of privileges that we have. Um, um, so, 
in the in, I think in the early fall, this is just a plug for a little baby project that like has has barely even started. Um, but I think we're going to try to do a, an event like based out of Malmo University, but also kind of um, really privileging voices from people who are doing the work with a capital W on the ground, um, hopefully from, from around the world about Black Lives Matter and about these sorts of more local manifestations and histories that the, um, that the movement is addressing. Um, and so one of the things that I think we're going to talk about is, you know, confronting privilege and um, performative activism um, but I'm excited about that and that will definitely be something we'll m- maybe plug, you know, um, throughout our different networks when it, when it happens. Um, but I, you, you both have offered such incredible and like rich reflections. So thank you so much. I have one last question for both of you <laughs> because we're about sounds and songs. Um, I was wondering, even though we're, we're only halfway, God help us, we're only halfway through this year, um, what is the one sound that you think you will remember from this year? I'm gonna I'm gonna like slightly dodge the question because I had actually prepared a quote. I uh, because like you said, I in like 2020. I mean, 2020, like the miserable sentiment of 2020 started in 2019 for me. Okay. It just goes on. Uh. Um, So I think that like my favorite person in the whole world, he's called Jonathan Van Ness and he's on Fab Five. Oh, yes, he is. And he's my best friend. And we would be best friends if we ever met. Um. (laughs) When he said uh, in five, Fab Five, new beginnings are often disguised as painful endings. Yes. I think hearing his voice say that will be a sound that I take with me. Oh, because, I do love that. Because he said it and I love it. New beginnings are often disguised as pa- painful endings. And I hope that is true for uh, Black Lives Matter, this movement. Uh, I hope it's true for the pandemic that it will shed a light on the neoliberal policies of healthcare systems in in uh, all over the world. I think we can see now that it is possible to be more environmentally friendly mm. uh, when we have to be. That's right. So maybe this is like a really new beginning that is disguised as this painful ending of things and uh, I will take Jonathan Vanessa's voice saying that with me as a sound love it love it and Jasmine I, I mean how can I what can I say like how can I go after that because um, I mean for me it was more like I, I've been thinking about this really and I, I think I mean like if panic and rage were sounds that would be 2020 for me like this pandemic panic induced laughter and then for that to kind of you know turn and to hear like you know people screaming people chanting um that sound so it's kind of a weird kind of transition from from this kind of you know um, panicked laughter to this kind of rage everywhere I think actually they go nicely hand in hand you know because I think people have also been talking a lot about like the power of silence and like how quiet things have been in different parts of the world without the kind of a hustle and bustle that usually happens. You know, I I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a lot of photographs of like really empty um, places like, you know, Times Square in New York City, which is usually very bustling and now is very eerily quiet. But then we have this outpouring of grief and rage and solidarity. I mean, the soundscape of our world right now is intense, mm. intense. Yeah. But I think like, like, you know, like JVN um, said that, you know, perhaps this is like, you know, this sort of difficult um, ending and it does feel like an ending. I think a lot of people are grieving um, for a lot of reasons. Um that there is there is beauty and possibility in what might come. I certainly hope so. Um, yeah. 
And, uh, but I do feel in this whole like hopelessness, quietness, chaos, sadness, there is something within me who thinks of this could be a new beginning. I see like some kind of hope on the horizon here. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks so much for being here today, Jasmine and Malin. Thank you. Wonderful conversation. And thanks to you, whoever you are, for listening. This has been another episode of Picturing Home, a podcast production by Kunstkoop on Malmo and Malmo University. Please follow us on Instagram at picturing.home. Our theme music is by Junior85, written and produced by Tony Higgins. Thank you.